Good morning and welcome to our Wednesday Reflection at St Anne's Church in Egberth. Now sometimes Jesus says things that confuse us and sometimes Jesus says things that, well, just seem not quite right. Today's passage from the lectionary is one of those passages. It's Luke chapter 16 verses 1 to 13 and it's a story about an employee who cheats and lies and he seems to be commended for that. In fact, Jesus appears to commend him for that. How on earth could this be? How on earth can Jesus say that cheating and lying is a good thing? Well, let's read it and have a think about it together. So it's Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? The previous chapter is a bit easier to understand. There we find the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. God seeking people, welcoming them and forgiving them. They are parables that focus on what God does in bringing people into relationship with him. And now Jesus turns his attention to us. And what are we to do in light of God's wonderful love for us? Well, at first sight, the answer seems to be cheat and lie so we can get rich. But of course, that can't be the answer, can it? Shall we have a closer look? You see, Jesus introduces his story. In verse one, he says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. That's not great, sure it's not. Having an untrusty employee is one of those things you hope you never have to deal with. And it seems the accusation is a big one. And it may not be the first time this has happened. See, while the manager still has to give an account of his behaviour to his master, he's also told, you cannot be my manager any longer. He's reached the end of the road. There'll be no tribunal. He's fired already. 
This is bad. In fact, it's worse than bad. This manager, well, he's more of a desk office type of guy. A day's working in the fields, well, that would finish him off. There's no way he can do that. And that leaves begging. But that's beneath him. That would finish him off emotionally. He really can't do either. He's a one-trick pony. No other job will do. And then he has a brainwave. A cunning plan starts to formulate in his mind. The rich man has called time, but the manager still holds all the receipts. Until he hands them over, he still has some power, some influence. He still has some influence over the rich man's debtors. So it's time for Operation Make Lots of Friends. And he does what he knows best, a bit of fiddling the accounts. So he calls in the first debtor to his office. How much do you owe? 3,000 litres of olive oil? Well, let's make it half of that. And the second, 30 tonnes of wheat? Well, let's knock 20% off that. And in comes the third and the fourth, and it goes on all day. This manager becomes the most popular man in town, more popular than the guy who always buys, buys all the first rounds at the pub. You see, he has saved them thousands of pounds, collectively maybe tens of thousands of pounds. And when the rumours of this make it to the master, well, all he can do is commend the manager for his shrewdness. Like the opposition team who have outwitted you, all he can say is, well played. I don't like what you've done, but there's nothing I can do about it now. I guess you can see why companies today often put employees on gardening leave during their notice period, a bit of damage limitation. So as the manager packs up his belongings and leaves the office for the final time, he knows his future is safe with his many newfound friends. So that's the story, that's the parable, but what are we to make of it? Well, thankfully, we don't have to sweat too much. If we just had the parable, we'd need to do lots of head scratching. But instead, like a lot of Jesus's difficult parables, he gives us the meaning or the take home message. In fact, in the verses after, he gives us four things to learn from that parable. In verse eight, Jesus says this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Be shrewd. See, the dishonest manager acted shrewdly, and so should we. If the people of this world are able to be shrewd, how much more should we? We're to be astute, canny, savvy and cunning. We're to be wise and smart, and we're to act accordingly. Now, when I was in school, the play that I had to study for exams from Shakespeare was Macbeth. You might know the story. Macbeth, egged on by his wife, murders the king so that he can become king in his place. And of course, the story doesn't quite work out how he expected. But there's a line that Lady Macbeth says to her husband in Act One before Macbeth does the deed. She says this to him as she's trying to encourage him and egg him on. She says, Look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. In other words, be careful. Don't get caught. You see, we often think like Lady Macbeth, don't we? To be as cunning as a serpent 
we have to leave innocence behind. We go to any lengths just to appear innocent so people won't realise. We try to look innocent, but really we're being guilty. And that leaves us with a choice. Either we can be cunning, but guilty, or we can be innocent, but taken advantage of. And as Christians, well, we know we're supposed to be good, don't we? So we try to be innocent when we can, but then we end up being trampled over by others. But that isn't what Jesus is telling us to do. Jesus wants the people of the light, his people, people who are innocent and who continue to be innocent, well, he wants us to also be shrewd, to be wise to the ways of the world. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says this, Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. That's completely different to Lady Macbeth, isn't it? Jesus wants us to be shrewd in how we live, just like the manager in this story. But we must also make sure we're innocent, unlike the manager in his story. So when you become a Christian, well, you don't turn off your brain. You don't say, oh, do you know what? I'll just let go and let God. Whatever will happen will happen. No, God wants us to act. And he wants us to think about how we will act and how we will use the things that he has given us. You see, God knows the difference between laziness and faith, and so should we. So we're to be shrewd. But what exactly does that look like? Well, in the very next verse, Jesus gives us a second thing. He gets a little bit more specific and he says this in verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. See, Jesus tells us to use our money and our possessions to put them to good use. We're to invest them, but not to invest simply to get more money or more possessions, at least not on earth. Instead, we're to build up treasure in heaven. Jesus encourages us to convert our earthly treasure into spiritual treasure, treasure that will last. And of course, we can't take our possessions or our bank balance to heaven. But there is one thing that will go to heaven that we can influence down here on earth. And that's people, people who trust Jesus. And not just any people, but friends, family members of ours who trust in Jesus. Now, I don't mean by friends, but rather we're to use our money, our possessions, our belongings, our abilities to bless our friendships. You see, we can use our money to build friendships where things of real and permanent worth exist in heaven. So we can spend time with Christians so we may be encouraged and grow in our faith because we'll be spending eternity with them. And we can spend time with non-Christians so we may share our faith with them. And then hopefully we'll also be spending eternity with them too. You see, I've got a friend who used to go to the pub every Friday with his work colleagues. He'd be a good egg, he'd buy the first round, and before they got too tipsy, he'd often chat to them about Jesus. Now, he didn't force his thoughts on them, he just made opportunities. They knew he was a Christian, and as they relaxed after a busy week at work, they would often ask him questions about his faith. I also know a couple who have a nice holiday house in the south of England, and they let some university students stay for free so these students can plan events for their Christian union 
so more students at university can come to know Jesus. And I also know a businessman who earns so much that he can support several missionaries and their families. And as a result, people around the world are coming to know Jesus. You see, each of these people use their worldly wealth because they know it's not theirs to keep. Instead, it's theirs to use for God. And it's not just wealth, is it? We could use our time. We could use it to visit or phone someone who's housebound and encourage them. We could be using our DIY cleaning or gardening skills to keep the church tidy and functioning. We could be using tech skills to keep services and the website running smoothly. We could be using our living room to host a fortnightly house group. Our financial knowledge to keep the church accounts functioning. Our musical abilities to lead people in worship. Our cooking skills to care for people returning home from hospital. Our teaching experience to bless the Sunday school groups. You see, people at St. Anne's are already doing these things and much more. So what has God given you? What abilities, what skills, what possessions, what influence has God given you? How could you use that at St. Anne's or the wider church? Now, I'm aware that that might raise a question. The question might be, well, if I already trust in Jesus, then surely I'm already going to heaven. So why should I bother with all this? Well, it's all down to being trustworthy. You see, in verses 11, 10 and 11, Jesus continues. He says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, while we're on earth, it's a bit like we're on probation. You know, when you start a job, you're on a probationary period. You need to prove your worth. We're often trusted with little things. And depending on how we get on, we're then trusted with bigger things. When I started to preach, I was once asked to speak at a small group for retired people. Now, I'm not joking, but about a third of them were actually asleep as I spoke. And I don't think it was my fault, but maybe it was. Another third, well, they couldn't hear very well. I know I'm quite softly spoken, but it was even worse then. And as for those who were listening, well, they were all mature Christians. It was unlikely that I would cause them much spiritual harm if I said something silly. You see, if I could be trusted when things were pretty safe, when I couldn't cause much damage, well then I could be trusted when the stakes were higher, eventually preaching to the whole congregation. You see, if we want God to entrust big things to us, well we need to be humble enough to accept small things and to use them how he wants us to. God wants us to grow in our service to him, to start small and to grow. So are we being trustworthy with what he has already given us? Well, after that, Jesus finally drives home his point with a fourth thing in verse 13. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus ends with a choice for all of us. What's it going to be? Money or God? Our wealth and possessions or God? 
You see, for the dishonest manager in Jesus's parable, the choice was pretty easy to make. The fear of future ruin outweighed any of his present concerns. And with us, there's also the threat of future ruin, a future without God, a future not trusted by God because we haven't been trustworthy with what God has given us. God wants us to be wise and shrewd, to choose him over our wealth and possessions and to use our wealth and possessions to serve him. See, after all, that's why he has given them to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you have given us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be like that manager in Jesus's parable, that we would be shrewd, that we would be thinking about what we've got and Father, that we would be thinking how to use them, that we would be very aware that a future is coming and that what we do now, well, that will impact on our future. We know that because of Jesus and because of his death, if we trust in him, our future itself is not in doubt. We will go to heaven. But Father, please may we all be those people who are trusted by you, who have proved ourselves to be trustworthy in small things. And so you will trust us with great things. We pray, Father, that you would bless us in that way with faith, with shrewdness, with understanding. And Father, that we would be obedient to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, take good care and I'll see you on Sunday. God bless. <laughs>